Sometimes you go on a medication and you feel like crap. And as women, sometimes we have the notion of, oh, I'm just gonna power through, but your body tells us what it needs. If you're not feeling well, that is not the right medicine for your body. Christina Francis, CEO of AppLog and guest host for this episode. This will be part two of a two-part conversation with Dr. Sarah Peterson, a board-certified OBGYN who specializes in taking a holistic approach to helping her patients restore their fertility. In part one, we discussed how physicians can help patients optimize their hormone health. In part two, we're going to take some of the insights from part one and apply them to the scenario of helping patients achieve pregnancy. Let's jump right into it. Dr. Peterson, thanks for being back with us. Thank you. Yeah. So I know much of your practice involves caring for women who are going through the the very um, difficult and very personal struggle with fertility. And I'd imagine that they come from many different backgrounds and health histories. And, you know, as you said, each patient's individualized. Um, But are there any common threads that you see, uh, you know, running through the patients of of things that come up commonly for those patients that are struggling with fertility? Yeah, one common thing is that it's difficult to talk about fertility issues because it's so intimate, so personal, and a lot of couples are being pressured by their families to have kids, and it often seems when you're trying especially to have kids that everyone around you is having babies, there's babies everywhere, everyone can get pregnant so easily. And I think women also just to have tend to have a lot of pressure on themselves and think, well, is something wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with me? You know, what's going on with my body? So one thing that I really focus on is reproductive mental health. So at Vero, we partner with a group called Parent Family Wellness, and it's this group of therapists who just specialize in women's health and reproductive health. So we partnered with them, and now I offer all my patients free mental wellness check-ins because I think sometimes as a physician, you're sort of worried to, you know, is my patient going to think that you think they're crazy if you refer them to a therapist? Or And I just make it universal. I say all my patients, every single one, you know what, I acknowledge that this mental, like fertility is, can be a huge mental journey. And so we partnered with this group and I offer all my patients a free mental wellness check-in. If you want to sign up for it, great. If you don't, it's no problem. But basically during their check-in, the therapists go over, you know, what, how are they doing? And then what's normal from an emotional and mood standpoint and what's not normal. Are there any red flags? Are there under any underlying things that need to be addressed? They give them resources. So the patient feels like they can walk with someone along the journey and then they line them up with a dish. Like they line them up. Do they need to see a therapist? Do they need to have any other future support or help along the journey? Because I think also there's just a lot of unique mental health things in the cycle because, you know, you're so hopeful in the beginning of your cycle, you ovulate, you know, you feel like you have to have intercourse and then you have this two week wait, and then you get your period and it's super depressing and it can just be a total emotional roller coaster. And so I want women to understand that mental health is just a huge part of the reproductive journey and that it should be well cared for and paid attention to and not something that we like put aside or don't talk about. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, what a great uh, support for for women and families who I know are are struggling with that and. And an amazing resource that you have in your community, because I know uh, mental health professionals who specialize in this kind of mental health with with reproductive issues are are very rare throughout the country. I'm blessed to have one here where I'm at, but uh, but I know that that's very rare to have that. So what an amazing resource for your patients, and and you know I would imagine too it helps them just do better through that whole fertility treatment process if they are coming at it from a better standpoint, from a mental health standpoint. So, yeah. Um, so how does your approach to fertility care differ? We've already heard a significant way that it differs, I think, for most practices, but from in other aspects, from what we might consider, quote unquote, traditional reproductive endocrinology. Yeah, so I think a lot of times in reproductive endocrinology, it's very kind of cookie cutter and they don't necessarily measure results. For example, I see a lot of people who, you know, they say, oh, let's just try Clomid or let's just try this and see what happens. But it's not tailored to the person's body. They don't measure anything. What if you're giving Clomid and you're not actually ovulating, right? Like you have to make sure that what you're doing is actually working and that it's the right thing for the patient's body. Because sometimes you go on a medication and you feel like crap. And as women, sometimes we have the notion of, oh, I'm just going to power through. Like, it's okay. I'm going to power through. But your body tells us what it needs. If you're not feeling well, that is not the right medicine for your body. You know, we throw it away. We try something because you always want to be feeling better. You want to be feeling wholer, healthier, happier, hormones more balanced and never worse. So the goal is definitely to learn about each person's body and optimize its functions instead of just overriding them. So I have my five pillars of hormone balance that I call them. So we focus on everybody's diet, sleep, exercise, stress, weight, and then spirituality and mentality. And we set little goals for every single month. And we set goals in those categories. And then we set hormone goals. So the goal is to make sure that all those things are supporting what the patient's body naturally should be doing. And I usually, we kind of talked about this too, but I have my patients track their hormones every single day. So their LH, their progesterone, their estrogen, so we can figure out exactly what's going on. And then we can set really specific goals. Like, do we need to get your LH surge higher? How are we going to do that? Do we need to improve your luteal phase? Do we need to increase your estrogen production? So whether it's, you know, that we need to work on your diet, your exercise, your supplements, add in bioidentical hormones to help retrain your body. That just really helps optimize their actual body functions. And then it's important, too, to treat underlying causes. Like, do you have an imbalanced vaginal microbiome? Do you have endometriosis? Do you have gut bacterial overgrowth? Do you have nutrient deficiencies? Because so many of those things play a role in our hormone balance and fertility. And I often hear patients come to me and they say, oh, my gosh, no one ever paid any attention to this. You know, I was taking all these medications and nobody ever looked at my diet. So... We try to make their whole kind of life wholer, happier, and healthier. Hmm, Absolutely. Well, and for our next question, you already kind of answered this a bit, but, um, you know, again, thinking back to my training, which was very traditional, I think most of us think about, when we think about assisted reproductive technologies, we think about, um, you know, IUI, intrauterine insemination, ovulation stimulators, or IVF. 
Um, but I'm sure, as you said, many times the solution could be a bit simpler, certainly, um, a little less invasive probably, and more holistic, because even just what you were just describing, I'm thinking, okay, that's great, because I'm sure it does help them achieve pregnancy. But in addition to that, it's addressing their overall health too, so that they can go into pregnancy being healthier at the start of pregnancy and minimize their risk of complications. Um, what are some common things that you have seen and treated that you think often are overlooked in favor of the sort of more um, complicated uh, reproductive technologies? And then um, maybe even if you can think of a patient that you've treated who maybe went through failed, you know, ARTs, and then you found something that you could treat and then were able to help her achieve pregnancy. Yeah. So one thing is a lot of times patients do have endometriosis or some sort of underlying inflammation. And so there, I do, I also do surgery, but I do it in a restorative reproductive way. So if you're going to have surgery, we want to make sure it's optimizing your fertility. So if I'm going to take out endometriosis, I make sure to take it out and then sew the peritoneum or where the endometriosis came from back together and use a lot of anti-adhesive, anti-scar approaches to make sure that you're actually making their overall pelvis and reproductive organs better instead of worse. And so a lot of times taking out endometriosis and then after that really focusing on hormone balance and decreasing inflammation, I've had a lot of success. A lot of patients get pregnant that way. Because sometimes two people either are, you know, they're afraid to have surgery, which I completely understand, and they're worried that it's the surgery is going to make them, you know, worse or have to take time off and not be able to conceive right away. And so our goal, and so after they have surgery, I really focus on, okay, how do we decrease inflammation in your body? How do we optimize your hormones to prevent your endometriosis from growing back? And you, then they just feel way, way better. So that's one thing a lot of times people overlook endometriosis. Another one is infections. A lot of when we think of infections, we think of bacterial vaginosis and yeast infections. But there's so many other aspects to our vaginal microbiome that can really contribute to inflammation, pelvic pain, poor quality cervical mucus. So for example, I diagnose a lot of ureoplasma, a lot of mycoplasma, and I have a patient take a two-week course of antibiotics and they get pregnant in a week. You know, because they have low inflammation and their vaginal microbiome is reset. So that's a big one. I also have a lot of patients who, you know, they're gluten-free or they're vegan and they're eating. They think they're eating healthy because they're vegan. But, for example, I had a patient who was vegan, but she was just eating a bunch of packaged tofu and a bunch of white bread. And, you know, white bread is super inflammatory and horrible for your hormones. And so I had her map out her hormones every day for a month, and her estrogen was super-duper-duper duper high. And I and she was like, yeah, I think, I think I'm healthy because I'm vegan, but I realize I'm not actually eating healthy. And she's like, Sarah, you're making me overhaul my entire diet. And I said, yeah. But we, in one month, her hormone profile, it was night and day. Her estrogen rose and fell beautifully. It looked way better. She felt better. She had way more energy and she was pregnant in two months. So sometimes just things like knowing what's going on with your hormones and then being able to optimize them and really focusing on your diet and things like measuring things that inflame you, make sure you're cutting those out of your diet. Some of those things which seem kind of like 
easy and straightforward really, really help with your hormone balance and your fertility. So there's a lot of, there's so many things that we can do. (laughs) Well, it's so amazing. And man, I feel like the more that we learn in general about inflammation and its effects on our body in so many ways, you know, I think that that's a big sort of untapped area within medicine that that a lot more physicians are addressing that now even than 10 years ago i think but um it definitely is uh, an area that i think a lot more physicians need to be addressing and again more from even beyond the fertility issue i mean so many things you know chronic pain and cancers and so many things that now we know are tied to chronic inflammation and um and that can be corrected as you said through basic interventions that aren't necessarily easy sometimes overhauling your whole diet is not always easy to do but um but you know it doesn't cost a lot of money and uh and it doesn't involve you know taking medications and things like that so um, so much still to learn about and, and man, this has like piqued my interest in so many ways. Um, and I'm sure it has for a lot of other people that are listening too. So, um, you know, as we talked about, these are not things that you learn in a traditional OBGYN training program that you learn in medical school. Um, where could medical professionals go to learn more, both about your work and, um, the topics that we discussed today, but also if they want training to be able to maybe do what you're doing in your practice, um, where could they go for that? And I and I know for any skeptics that are out there listening to this too, they're going to say, I want to go somewhere where I can find the evidence behind what she's saying. So where what are some uh, places that you would recommend people go to for, for more information? I think one thing that's super important and has really helped me is to find good mentors and find a network because there's things that come up all the time and it's just important to have other brains to bounce things off of and know and ask, okay, what, what do you think about this? You know, what are you trying for this? What are you doing in your clinic? What are the newest things or what have you tried that didn't work? So I know I have my mentors and that's really how I learned the most is from people who are doing kind of these same restorative, reproductive, fertility and women's balance approaches, and then kind of tailoring it toward my own style. So I think it's hard because I really never felt like I had good mentors that in residency and in medical school, especially kind of for that more holistic type approach for medicine and women's health. So that is just huge, like knowing your network and knowing your people and and not even in women's health too. Like it's nice to, you know, be able to reach out to rheumatologists and because a lot of times inflammation, you know, it can really be involved in rheumatology and, you know, neurology and things like that. So that's really helpful. I know that um, Neofertility and FEM, they both have provider courses that are really great. Also, there's just all kinds of amazing things coming out in women's healthcare, which is awesome. For example, I use a Mira monitor and an Anito monitor that enables patients to check their hormones every single day. There's a new product out there called Keg, where patients can measure their own cervical mucus every day. And it's awesome because it's like we've been talking about cervical mucus for a long time and how important it is for your hormone balance and your fertility. And now it's becoming more mainstream and people are learning about it. And 
So I think it's really helpful. I'm always trying to stay on top of the newest and latest things in women's health. Like now we have really good ways to to measure vaginal microbiomes and there's great companies that are coming out with those types of things. And then I also, I mean, one of the most awesome and exciting things in fertility is that there's new stuff coming out all the time, even in the literature. So I always say, you know, just make sure you stay on top of your literature because it used to be that, for example, supplements were really, really poorly studied, but now they're actually coming out with some really good studies on supplements and their specific use in women's health. For example, they came, there was a study that I just read that showed that N-acetylcysteine, so NAC, curcumin, Mm -hmm. and omega-3 can really help with inflammation caused by endometriosis. So I think it's, I'm a very, I'm a very evidence-based person. And so when I talk to my patients, I like to say, okay, this is what the studies show. You know, when they ask me questions, we can kind of do a risk-benefit analysis. So like, what's the data? What do the studies show? And then that can kind of be your basis. But then beyond that, you can also think outside the box, you know, push the boundaries, you know, try things that, you know, will work with your patients, things like that. So it is tough because it's not something that you're going to get as formal training like we wish we would get in residency, you know, but there are, there are good, you know, people doing this kind of thing and and the literature is getting better and better. And there's a lot of amazing, amazing new companies in women's health for sure. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing those. And um, we will try to put some of those resources in the show notes too, so that people can Um, access those and and look up those training programs as well. So Dr. Peterson, thank you so much for joining us to share your insights. And I know you have um, inspired me to look at my patients more holistically. And I hope that, um, that it has for our listeners as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And a massive thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you like this episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating and a review on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. If you have any topic requests, you can reach out to us on social media via the links in the description of this episode or via email at info at aaplog.org. If you're a medical professional interested in joining the AppLog community, we'd love to have you become a member by going to aaplog.org join. We exist to support your pro-life practice. We will see you next week.